The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Carter Worth, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, a major sell-off to wrap up the week. The top strategist Tom Lee says, don't worry, a 10% rally into year-end is still in the cards. He'll be here to explain. Plus, the transport's getting slammed down nearly 2% today. But one trader's making a contrarian call on one of the biggest losers in the group. He will explain. When we start with the market sell-off, the Dow dropping 500 points. The S&P and Nasdaq also down 2%. As the selling into year-end continues to pick up steam as worries about global growth slowdown continue to hit the markets. It's really been a winter wipeout. The S&P 500 back in correction territory, down nearly 12% from the September highs and closing just pennies below that key 2600 level, its lowest level since April. So, is it all downhill from here? And what should you do? Guy Dami. All downhill from here. No, it's not all downhill from here, but there's, I think there's further room to the downside. Steve Grosso's talked about 2530 in the S&P. That's 70-ish handles from here. What is that, 2 2.5%? I don't think that's unreasonable to think you can test it. And maybe you see from there Tom Lee's 10%. It's getting a little late in the year for that, but one never knows. I, I think, listen, Tim's been on this, Dan. I know Carter's been bearish as well. Europe is absolutely slowing. The data out of China has not been good. There seems to be problems with banks for more than just the Fed reason. So there are confluence of events taking place that are knocking the market down. I think that continues over the next couple of weeks. Banks are now in bear market territory, officially down 20 percent off the highs. And that data out of China was really not encouraging. It, it was awful. So, uh, you know, data points in China tend to be volatile. And I've argued that the PMIs, the data has been, you know, more or less in a range in t- with the last couple of years. But actually, that started to tend down. Retail sales last night, lowest print in China since 2003. By the way, this has been effectively a straight line down over the last seven years. So, again, not happening overnight. But rest of the world, remember when we were asking that question, uh, when we were going to catch up to them or could we exist on our own? We can't exist on our own. And, and I, I will repeat, I think the EC meeting this week. Uh, Draghi, to me, sounded not confident, not confident that they can engineer what they need to try to thread the needle. I think the, the, the dynamic in France is something that's going to make the politics worse. Uh, I think we're a European banking crisis away from taking this market significantly lower. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think of some of the externalities. Uh, most importantly, we have not necessarily heard companies come out and reaffirm guidance. Um, we have not seen the street downgrade. And also, you know, credit to, to EBITDA right now is essentially at highs we haven't seen in either of the previous two cycles for this market. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned companies because, I mean, fourth quarter earnings season is going to be around the corner. Yeah, in January, we, we're know. getting these conference calls. And do you think, I mean, what has changed in terms of the unknowns in the market at this point? Do we still have a China trade war? Yes. Do we know if tariffs are going to be ratcheted higher? 
we still don't know. So what are these companies so going to I, say? I would just say, I, I will get to that in one second. I yeah. just say in the very new term, the good news is this, that sentiment is downright horrible. The price action is downright horrible. We have two identifiable events next week. We have the FOMC meeting, and then we do have a deadline on um, a government shutdown, which is next Friday, December 21st. So there is a scenario where we could get a relief rally. We had a horrible... Uh, week in the markets this week. Every rally got sold. We closed at the dead low almost and we could see maybe a reversal of that. That doesn't I don't really see us getting a 10% rally from the lows. Even if you got it doesn't matter. It, it, does, it doesn't matesistic. matter. The higher we go I, I think until we get to what Mel's saying now and we get into January and we start releasing Q4 results and giving Q1 guidance, the larger issues the trade issues, there's still going to be a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, there's, a, there's an expression when you're hoping it's hopeless. There are four things that have been held out since Carl the summer. always has a great Amazing. line for but everything. It's, but it's true, right? Leave Four things I mean, since summer. Said the thought was, well, earnings, earnings will do it. Well, we got the earnings. It didn't do it. And then it was, well, the election, the election will do it. Well, no. And then the third was, well, buybacks, buybacks, they'll do it. No. And then it's like year-end rally. Year, that's those, that's like a word salad, a great phrase you use. That's not a thesis, not a, a premise. Word salad. It's nothing. It's wow. just like maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Here's the real risk. January is very rarely benign. January this year, we were up huge. January last year, we were up huge. January 16, we were down huge. Are we going to come in and have a quiet January, or could it be something extraordinary? Well, Q1, down. Q1 2016 was a disaster. And frankly, we had a Fed meeting in December where the Fed went. Everyone knew they were going to go, and we reacted like we didn't know that. I think 2018, 2019, excuse me, Q1 is 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 very similar setup because we were questioning global growth. Remember what commodities were doing. And look at the dollar, by the way, at fresh 18 months highs. The dollar is going to go higher if European politics continue to deteriorate. And that will be devastating for risk assets. And that could be also something that companies warn about on the conference yes. calls come Q1. We started hearing about that the last earnings It's interesting, though. You know, Tim mentions the first quarter of 16th. February, I think it was February 8th, 2016, take. That's when the S&P traded on the 18.10. But remember what was going on. China devalued yuan in August the year before, right? Yet banks trading horribly. That was the day that Jamie Dimon announced he was personally buying back stock. Crude oil reversed on that day on some OPEC news. But you have the same type of events going on now. So maybe we will see a repeat of Yeah, 16. I just want to make one other point. What was also happening then? Yields were going down, too. Mm-hmm. And that was actually yeah. not a positive thing at the point. And that's one of the things I think is really interesting about this Fed setup next week, that a dovish hike may be for the wrong reasons, and it may be the sort of thing that doesn't set 2019, at least equities up, for a rip-roaring year because rates are going to be lower. All right, so in terms of the break of 2600, how important is that, Carter? I mean, one of the things about a level that has a lot of authority is that the more authority it has, the more authoritative the resolution. You hover, you hover, and ultimately, if you break, you break dramatically. Same thing with breakouts. We know that a stock at well-defined tops, the further and further it toys with that, the more tension there is to break out. So Everyone's watching it, chartists, non-chartists. A break has major implications. All right. Well, with stocks sitting in negative territory for the year and only 10 trading days left in 2018, it's not looking good. Take a look at the market tales from the crypt. The S&P 500 has only been negative three out of the past 15 years. But our next guest says not all hope is lost. A 10% rally is still on the table before year end. Let's bring in Fundstrat's Tom Lee. Tom. You're really bullish. Uh, but now sitting next to Carter, it's warm and down. Shake hands, guys. Hug it out. So in what form will this 10% rally uh, look like? Uh, what sectors will take us there? Well, it's, uh, you know, obviously we're working with a really short time frame. Yes. But we know that markets have been moving very quickly in the last couple of months, right? In five days, we've lost 200 points. I think, to me, anything that happens between now and year end is a lot more about positioning than macro developments. You know, like AAII sentiment, bulls minus bears, it's 
the worst since February 12th, 2016, like days before the market bottomed. And from all of our conversations with clients, our clients aren't worried about a bull rally and missing out a bull rally. They're worried about how much of a drawdown they're facing. So we, we think most of our clients have gone neutral or even into cash. I, I think that they've made a determination this is late cycle. So I, I think that there's a bullish scenario, which is everyone's off sides. And if there's any positive elements, Dan, you mentioned a couple. I think these are catalysts and 10 days could you know, see a significant reversal. So is it going to be the tech sector? Is it going to be financials? I mean, what sorts of, what, what's the quality of that 10% rally? This is going to be tougher, but I think the market is gravitating towards quality. So it's more like Walt Disney over Netflix. Um, you know, so more re Cisco over Fang. And I think maybe that's how people want to be positioned anyways, but I think that's the stuff they're willing to sort of buy up. I'm curious, Tom, all your life, have you been called an optimist by nature? Because you're sounding, I mean, with given the short time frame for, the, for your S&P 500 call, um, and you're also standing pat in terms of Bitcoin, saying the market's got it wrong on Bitcoin. Bitcoin should actually be valued higher, and the market's, there's a disconnect there. I mean, you're, you're really sticking by your guns here. Well, uh, you, you know, we're, we're contrarian at the extremes, and actually as markets make more extreme moves, we tend to look more contrarian. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't necessarily think 2019 is a great year for equities, but do I think people should be bearish and we should be talking about you know, a recession? I think it's too early to make that judgment, and I see positioning, so that makes us bullish. On, on crypto, again, I think the story there is just about adoption on wallets, and that's grown this year, and to us, that's determined fair value for the last eight years. You know, 93% of the move in Bitcoin has just been explained by active addresses and activity per user. This is the only year where they've really diverged. So I'm not saying the market's wrong. I'm just saying the thing that has driven explained crypto for the last eight years hasn't explained the market this year. Okay. Um, here's another contrarian call. General Electric. Yes. So bad it's good. I, I, yes, we actually just published a piece. So we looked at 120 years of price history for GE. It's back, it's ratio to the Dow is back to 1920. And a lot of bad news has been priced in. And I think one of the most significant developments this week uh, is actually Steve Tusa's upgrade, not because he's moved the market, but it's, it's just evidence that a lot of bad news is priced in. And it's like the least institutionally owned, it's priced to sales is now a 75% discount to the S&P. It's the least like among the industrials. So to us, the risk reward is there, but it's an ugly chart. Our, our TA, Rob Slimer, says he doesn't see any evidence. Of, yeah, and then yeah. Carter's going to get me more depressed. No, 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 it is an ugly chart, but hold, let's hold that aside. At the lows in 09, there was a large contingent of players who believed that GE was a zero, right? That it was upside down in terms of its leverage and that if not for the bailout, it would have been a zero. Is it any better now? I, I'm asking because I don't know. I don't do yeah. that for so, a living, but yes. wh what is the situation? So there's a lot written. In fact, journal, the journal had an article today about uh, GE. You know, number one, the CDS is like 240 wide now. When GE was last $7, it was 1,000 wide. So credit saying, hey, I'm a little more comfortable. There's a lot of estimates that some of their flagship businesses, like their turbines, are worth $90 billion. The stock's at $56 billion. So right. in a way, and they had change agents, right, new management. So yeah. maybe little things have to go right, and then good things happen with GE. Wow. Hope you're right, Tom, in terms of the markets. Um, happy holidays to you. Tom has been uh, really enjoying the holiday. He's been in, in full holiday spirits of late. Um, holiday cheer. Yeah, see, there oh, you have the Oh, look Tom. at him. Wait, wait, wait. Is that a Photoshop? 
No, that's real, right, Tom? Come that on. That's real. That's real. Wow, you've got some moves. He's got really good form. <laughs> nice like his toe is pointed. I mean, he's really <laughs> excellent. This is an excellent photo. He looks disturbing. Good. Tom, thank it's you. not excellent. Tom I mean, Lee, that's one word. A, a fun strat. I, I think it's excellent. No, you don't, Mel. I see the look. So, so, you see the setup for the, a 10% snapback. I, I think the most important thing is it's not what happens between now and the end of the year. It really is the setup. Like last year, we were ripping after those tax cuts at yeah. the end of December into the new year, and it kept on going. And what did it do? It set up for a 12% straight line down. Mm-hmm. So we escalated it up, elevated it down. That's what makes me nervous about any shenanigans late year, and it's not something that I would want to kind of get really involved in one way or another. Okay. All right, coming up, healthcare getting crushed as a report about Johnson & Johnson weighs on the stock in the entire sector. But the chart master here says don't count the group out yet. That is next. Plus, it wasn't all bad this week. Check out shares of Facebook up 5%. Is the stock finally ready to rally? We've got the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Johnson & Johnson shares tanking today following reports the company was aware of asbestos in its baby powder products for decades. The stock falling 10 percent, its worst day since 2002. The move taking down the whole healthcare sector by more than 3 percent, making it the worst performing sector in today's sell-off. So what'd you make of the action, J&J? On the headline, Tim. Well, the, the headline, you know, I'll let the company defend itself. I, I think if you look at the performance of the stock and, and the fact that it then leaned into United Healthcare and some other stalwarts, very disturbing, right? We, we're losing leadership by the day. So it's Apple. Um, Johnson & Johnson was basically near the highs. Um, in the last couple of days, you had United Healthcare sell off 7 or 8%. This is not a headline uh, that is based upon a cyclical nature of the economy. In fact, let me, let me, let me give Dan Nathan a word that he likes to use. An idiosyncratic moment, which might not be idiosyncratic, correct? Right. I mean, this so, is your argument. I, I I'm, I'm make, actually but, patting but, you on the back. No, 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 but, but a, a rare, well, a rare occasion. Let's not touch. But um, here's the thing. I, 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 think, I, it's, I think it's important that you remember <laughs> this is a glass half full to glass half empty. That's what happens when you're in a bull market. You poo-poo things, right? But then mm. when you're in a bear market, you shoot first and ask questions later. And that's what's going on right now. So Dan is looking at a chart. I happen to be looking at the same chart of oh, Johnson uh, & Johnson, where up. this time last year, it uh. topped out around 150. A couple weeks ago, the stock was trading 150. You have, and Carter's looking at it now, and he will attest. You have a major double top now. Does it do the whole all the way back to where it was in the summer, down to 120, given this headline and given the fact that J.P. Morgan said, although it's an overreaction, the overhang will be here for a while, there's a very good chance it does absolutely print 120 over the next few weeks. Well, despite the damage done by Johnson Johnson, healthcare is still the best performing sector this year. But as the market has turned, the typically defensive group has been under the weather, down more than 7% this month. Two-thirds of the sector are in correction territory or worse. The sector is on track for the worst quarter since first quarter of 2016. Carter, though, says today's sell-off is a buying opportunity. So, Carter, why don't you head over to the plasma and tell us why. And what's interesting, on a two-quarter basis, it's the best relative performance since 2011 low in the S&P, which is the defensive prospects or characteristics of this sector will almost mathematically 
provide the safe haven that one would expect. So the news notwithstanding, relative S&P, this is definitely a place that I would want to belong, and I would make that argument to you. So here's the XLV, no annotations, judgments, anything by me. Let's put in some lines. What we know, generally speaking, is that the healthcare care uh, sector has maintained its uptrend. And even with this current sell-off, we've basically come down to a level where I'm going to make the bet that this holds. But again, even if it doesn't and everything goes down, this more likely than not will offer a safe harbor um, relative performance. Now, this is the key. Same chart on top, same trend line, and it's all about opportunity cost. When this sector sells off during the October swoon, what does it do? It goes straight up relative to other equities. When it sells off again right here, what does it do? It goes straight up relative to other equities. And then one more time, when it sells off just here, what does it do? It outperforms, and that's what alpha is all about. It's defensive, it's got elements, and the J&J &J thing, as bad as it is, it's such a big weighting in the sector that it hurt the sector. Here's another way to look at it. This is a, a longer-term chart. What we know is the sector, which languished for a long time, only recently broke out. In fact, not only was it languishing, it was underperforming the market. So put the lines in on the bottom and take a look. So that's your relative performance. During a bull phase, during a sideways period for the sector, you have underperformance, of course, to the ascending market. But the fact that we've broken above that downtrend on a relative basis is very, very constructive. I, I, I like healthcare here as a relative trade of the market. If the market's going to go down, healthcare's going to go down, you've got a better bet here than most anywhere else. Maybe utilities being the exception. All right, Carter, why don't you come on over? It's not exactly inviting back, but I mean, he is like here. an empty chair at a table at dinner. I know. Bad really luck. Weird. You know what? It's happened. Um, Johnson <laughs> Johnson is, is about 11% or so right. of the XLV. Um, if it does have another, I don't know, let's say 10%, I mean, it, can the XLV go higher without it? Or, or can it still outperform? But it's let's still say this. The, most importantly, what to do with J&J? &J? It's a wide holding in uh, many, many accounts. There is a, you know, an old saying, first loss, best loss. For everyone that did sell today, there are the people who are going to talk about it over the weekend. Their committees meeting, their boards saying maybe we've got to do something. So if you do see usually hit like this, it's better to take some measures and then go from there. Can I say something? That's what? like the fifth one tonight. He's got it. He's, he's not saying anything My favorite. I think we should have like a, a list, a list. Um, he is Mr. Adage. Word salad is my favorite. Word because salad. sometimes I feel yeah, like it's word smorgasbord but on what, the show. What was that one? It's like a the cornucopia of charts or something like that's that, right. maybe. Yeah. Fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. I was going to throw Friends of the Friendless out. Remember that? The I Love Lucy no. episode. No. You don't no. remember that. I saw that first time. Sorry. Yeah, I anyway. did see it in the first run, Back wise guy. Back to healthcare. You know. Back to healthcare. If forced to choose a defensive sector, Tim. Look, I think healthcare earnings healthcare? are more defendable in this environment, even with the you know cyclical, cyclical headwinds for the economy. Remember, the healthcare sector was the place to hide out actually when we were getting this growth scare in 2016. So um, I would just point out, though, this market has held in, and I mean the healthcare sector, way too long relative to the rest of the market, and it can't defy gravity. Well, but no, it was underperforming for the past three years. It's only just started coming to life.
right? I mean, it underperformed. Well, I look, okay, but I would approach this from J&J trading at roughly 27 times, 28 times earnings. Not terribly cheap. Maybe they're not considered healthcare. Maybe you look at a UNH, also not terribly cheap. So what was defensive because there was earnings to back it up. And, you know, granted, your, your chart points out that at a time when other stuff was ripping, these things were underperforming because, in fact, yep. they're defensive. more conservative. Okay. For more on Johnson Johnson Healthcare's ugly day, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money and CNBC First in Business Worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Yep, it's been a train wreck for transports this month, as the group plows into bear market territory. But there's one trader that thinks there could be a buying opportunity amid the wreckage. Plus, don't look now, but after a rough year, Facebook is soaring this week. Is the worst over for the social media giant? We will explain. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Breaking news out of the White House. Let's get to Eamon Javers, who's joining us on the Fast Line. Hey, Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. The president of the United States has just tweeted out he has selected an acting uh, White House chief of staff. It's going to be Mick Mulvaney, who's been uh, the director of the Office of Management and Budget and also the official uh, in charge of the Consumer Finance uh, uh, Protection Bureau, uh, which has been undergone a name change under his tenure. Uh, the White House, though, uh, the president in his tweet saying that he's going to be acting White House Chief of Staff, so leaving open the possibility that he might not be the permanent selection here. He might be simply a, a placeholder, uh, or it's possible, uh, as all things in the Trump White House, that that plan could change, and he could eventually work his way into uh, having the president drop that acting uh, word from his title. So uh, we'll wait and see what where that goes. But Mick Mulvaney is somebody that the president has turned to time and time again when he needs uh, competent staffing in the White House for high-profile jobs, uh, and somebody who's a former member of Congress, so uh, will have experience dealing with Capitol Hill and, and intimate experience dealing with Republican leaders on Capitol Hill. Knows them all very, very well, um, and now will be the acting chief of staff at the White House. Uh, the president has gotten a lot of no's, it seems, at least reportedly, Eamon. I mean, Nick Ayers turned it down because he wanted to spend more time with his family. Chris Christie reportedly turned it down, saying now is not the right time. Um, should we read anything into that? Well, I think this is a difficult choice for somebody to come in from the outside. So with a Chris Christie, uh, first of all, there's the, the strained relationship with Jared Kushner and the Kushner family uh, due to Chris Christie's uh, involvement in prosecution of Kushner's uh, father years ago. Um, and also uh, the fact that Christie had been on the transition team and pushed out. Christie sort of got this 
uh, on-again, off-again relationship with the president, which seems like it's now off-again as of today, uh, that might have been a tougher sell to come in and run this staff from the, from the outside. Uh, Nick Ayers was somebody the president wanted. He's a, he's a 36 or maybe now 37-year-old insider in this White House who has been the chief of staff to the vice president uh, and was, uh, by all accounts, the president's first choice for this job. Uh, but he decided for his own reasons that he wanted to move back to Georgia uh, for family reasons and otherwise, and, and did not want to take this chief of staff job. It, it will be a very tough job sure. for whoever takes it. All right, Eamon, thank you so much for phoning in. We appreciate it. Eamon Javers at the White House. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Carter Braxton Worth, what do you say? Final trade, Tom Lee's Disney. Axwell Long. Tim. Yum. The one not in China, by the way, has been very, very defensive. Stay with that, Brent. Dan. Yeah, FedEx, stay tuned in OA. We're going to do a contrarian play there. Guy. We have amazing... Pages come we through, do. don't we? We do. And Stephanie Larratt, who's over there, if you put the camera on her, she's leaving us. It's her life. It I went know. by like, Very like sad. that. I know. But she's moving on to Bravo, I believe. That's her next assignment. And then she'll, I'm sure she'll wind up being our collective bosses at some time. Bravo. Bravo. Congratulations, Stephanie. Stephanie. Good luck, And for Stephanie. my final trade there, Mel. Yes. I think the retailers might actually bounce. I'm not in the 10% camp, but I okay. think Macy's might actually get you done. All right, that does it for us here on Fast. We'll see you back here Friday if, oh, on Monday at 5. Options oh. action starts right after this break. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.